you scared? Ah! Follow me into the darkness as I review horror films of the past and present. Then, open your minds as I share with you real paranormal experiences that myself and others have encountered. I'm Mr. Steve, and welcome to my horror section. Episode 7, Howling and Screaming. Werewolf. A human with the ability to shapeshift into a wolf or wolf-like creature. Werewolf legends go back as far as ancient Greek mythology, one of the earliest stories being a man who was turned into a wolf by Zeus after he fed the king of the gods human flesh, which was apparently not on the menu that day. The legend of the werewolf is extremely popular in European folklore. In Hungary, where our film takes place, people were put on trial and executed for the suspicion of being a werewolf or a witch back in the 17th and 18th century. When I think about monsters, the werewolf is the one that evokes real terror within me. I think it's because werewolves are such primal, merciless creatures. If you were to be walking through the woods and one spots you, you're done. It's going to track you down and tear you apart without so much as a thought. I've had many reoccurring nightmares about being chased through the woods by werewolves. In this episode, we take a look at the fifth installment in the Howling movie franchise, And after that, I have a story about a deafening, disembodied scream heard in a basement. Part 1. Howling 5. The Rebirth. In 1981, The Howling was released to the world and set the standard for werewolf movies from that point on. It is one of the best werewolf movies of all time. It spawned seven sequels, a remake, and another remake currently in the works for Netflix. I'm pretty stoked about that. The sequels that were released were, um, interesting is the word I will use. I enjoyed Howling 2, wasn't a huge fan of Howling 3. I liked the fourth one, which was the closest adaption of the original novel by Gary Bradner, which is a great read if you get a chance. But Howling 5 has to be one of my favorites. Howling 5 The Rebirth was released in 1989 directly to home video. I'll give you a little story synopsis. In 1489, it was believed that a werewolf was living among a prominent family in Budapest. In an effort to ensure that the werewolf was eliminated, the entire family was murdered inside their castle. A man stands in a great hall full of dead bodies. A woman walks in, and he asks her if the baby was taken care of. The woman replies that it is finished. He asks if she is ready. She tells him to kill her. He runs her through with a massive sword. He then moves behind her and pulls the sword through into himself in a shish kebab murder-suicide. As the man lays dying, he hears the sound of a baby crying, the sole survivor of this massacre. We see the snowy white outside of the castle, followed by the howling of a werewolf. The castle was sealed off and left untouched for 500 years. Now, in 1989, a group of people have been selected to attend the reopening of the castle. 
Dr. Catherine Peake, Richard Hamilton, photographer David Gillespie, writer Gail Cameron, acting student Mary Lou Summers, the professor, of whom we never actually find out his real name, tennis player Jonathan Lane, Ray Price, played by Clive Turner, who wrote the screenplay for this movie, and the movie star, Anna, played by the beautiful Mary Staven. This eclectic group of people are being led to the castle by the mysterious Count and his two associates, Peter and Susan. The group is taken by bus to the massive castle, located deep in the remote region of the land and lost in time. As the entourage gets settled in and discuss the history of the castle that seems to have been wiped from all the records, the professor decides to go off exploring on his own to try to unravel the mystery. He makes his way to the dungeons. We hear a chain being drug across the floor. A chain attached to the leg of something very big and very hairy. The chain is snapped from the wall, and we watch the leg of a werewolf slink behind a door. The poor professor has no idea what he is about to bump into. After he realizes what killed the cat, he makes a valiant attempt to escape, but he is locked in with the beast. A whisper breaks the silence. Over here. The professor heaves a sigh of relief, thinking it's one of his comrades who has come to save him. Unfortunately, the whisper leads him into the jaws of the werewolf. The bus has left, and due to a heavy snowstorm, it won't be returning to bring our people back to the safety of the local hotel. As the team meets for lunch, they realize that the professor has not returned from adventuring around the castle. Not getting too worried just yet, the group continues to go about their business. Mary Lou and Jonathan make their way to the hot springs to, um, relax a little. <whistles> Dr. Peak and Richard sneak off, and we learn about their little love affair they got going on behind his wife's back. <whistles> Gail and Ray go off to discuss the suspicious behavior of our gracious host, the Count. Gail took notice of the Count whispering something to the bus driver before he left. The Count also said that the professor had decided to leave the castle on his own. However, Gail noticed his coat, his coat was still on the coat rack. Hmm. The plot thickens. While Mary Lou and Jonathan are naked in the hot springs, they notice they have matching birthmarks on their arms. A birthmark kind of shaped like the head of a wolf. Hmm. Ray stumbles across a secret passage that leads down into a tunnel system beneath the castle. The door closes, trapping him behind a solid brick wall. Gail is left alone. Someone comes into the room with her, but we don't see who it is. She greets this person if it's, as if it's someone in the group. She asks if they had seen Ray. Our mystery person locks the door behind them. We see Gail's face turn to horror as the unknown person transforms into a werewolf and lunges at her. Ray was able to see this from the crack in the brick wall, but he could do nothing to help her. He has no choice but to try to find another way out. While on his journey, he makes his way outside into the snowstorm, where he is set upon by the werewolf. 
Now three of our crew are down and out. Anxiety is starting to get real among the rest of the guests. A search party is organized to find their missing friends. Now we watch as our group starts to put the mystery together while trying to stay alive. It's revealed that everyone there has an hereditary birthmark that connects them to the castle's massacre that happened 500 years ago, which also means that at least one of them is a werewolf. Now it's up to us to figure out who it is before everyone ends up dead. This movie to me felt like the bold and the beautiful meets horror. I loved the diversity of this group. The characters were very well developed, they had great depth, and they were really fun to watch. Dr. Catherine Peake, played by Victoria Catlin, was my absolute favorite character. She was such a strong, smart, and beautiful badass in this movie. She had that Dana Scully personality. The scene where she sees movement behind a curtain... She grabs an old-time spear and charges at it, plunging the weapon into what she was hoping was the werewolf. Unfortunately, it ended up being Richard, her secret lover, who was already dying from his throat being ripped out by the werewolf. Very sad. Now, Richard, played by William Shockley, has one of the sexiest voices a man could possess, in my opinion. I could sit and listen to him read the dictionary. Yeah, I can totally see why Dr. Pete couldn't stay away from his married ass. Mary Staven, who I first seen in the movie House, did a great job playing the movie star Anna. At the beginning of the movie, you think she's going to be the blonde bimbo beauty queen, but she ends up being so much more than that. Smart, strong, beautiful, and resourceful. She ends up being the full package. And yes, gentlemen, you get to see her boobies. Ooh la la. Then you have the innocent and naive Mary Lou. She was the only one that I felt could have used a few more acting lessons. However, when you get to the ending, it's made very clear that she was putting on a false persona. If you didn't catch that little spoiler hint, Mary Lou is our hidden werewolf. I told you to watch the movie before you listen to this episode. You were warned. I actually put that together when her and Jonathan were in the tunnels searching for the missing members. The hot tennis player with the sexy, blonde, wavy, soap opera hair runs off once they realize something has been following them, rubbing their chalk marks off the walls so they couldn't find their way back. He turns to see if Mary Lou is keeping up with him, only to find that he is now being chased by the werewolf. Mary Mary Lou shows up a few minutes later, found laying on the ground without so much as a scratch on her, claiming that she was also being pursued. But I felt like she was fibbing. David, the photographer, reminded me so much of a guy that I went to school with. Just a boy-next-door type who ends up being the last man standing. Well, until Mary Lou gets a hold of him in the last moments of the film, anyway. Our writer-slash-journalist, Gail Cameron, played by Stephanie Faulkner, is also a very strong, independent woman, who was putting things together very quickly at the beginning of this film, and was one of the first to die. We now have deduced that it was Mary Lou who Gail was talking to that we couldn't see right before she died. Mary Lou knew that Gail was putting this mystery together a little too fast, so she had to go. 
Poor Ray, played by the screenplay writer Clive Turner, was just a fun-loving Australian who just wanted to have a few beers and a nice time. He really didn't believe in a conspiracy or that anything weird was going on, and he dies before anything is really figured out. Unlike the professor, who from the start knew there was something not right, he was bound and determined to figure out why this castle slipped into obscurity. The poor professor is our first to die, and I find it funny that even in the credits he is simply known as the professor. We don't ever know his actual name. It's kind of sad. The man should be given a name, damn it. Finally, you have the creepy Count, whom you suspect is the bad guy in this movie from the start. But, ooh, plot twist, he is not. He belongs to a sacred order that has assembled these specific descendants of the original family together to figure out who the werewolf is and to destroy it. Unfortunately, he does not succeed. He makes it to the end before being shot down by Mary Lou. The tragic film ends in another massacre, just like the events that took place 500 years ago. And the werewolf lives on. This film was shot in Budapest, Hungary. Unfortunately, I could not find any info on the castle that it appeared to be filmed in. I'm a shitty detective, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm guessing it was mostly shot in a production studio, but I could be wrong. This was a very scary film. The low lighting, the music, the spooky castle, and the werewolf that is only ever seen for brief moments at a time. Which actually makes the werewolf scarier because you are filling in the gaps with your own version of a horrific werewolf. <laughs> I had to laugh at myself when I watched this movie back to make my notes. I've seen this movie a thousand times, and it never occurred to me until this time that there are two werewolves in this movie. I've always thought there was only one. They never talked about there being a second werewolf. Except when Dr. Peek and David are searching the tunnels, and he says, maybe there's more than one. That's it. That's all they give us. We figure out at the end that Mary Lou is one, but when the professor goes off on his own in the beginning of the movie, we see the second werewolf break the chains in the dungeon and walk off. That was one hole in the story that I thought should have been addressed more. I have this hypothesis that this movie being called something else, maybe it would have gotten more recognition. A lot of people assume that when you see a long line of sequels, that they keep getting more and more corny. So, I'm guessing a lot of folks turned away from seeing this when it came out as the fifth in the series. Also, because it doesn't seem to have any ties with the previous films, I would have just called it something else entirely. Uh, well, the character Mary Lou goes on to have appearances in Howling 6 and Howling 7. So, those ones are connected a little bit, so I guess it's fine. <laughs> I read that this movie was based off of the movie of a movie from the 70s called The Beast Must Die. Well, lo and behold, it was on Shutter, so I gave it a look-see. I hated it. <laughs> I felt like it felt like an episode of the old Miami Vice or something. The werewolf was a big German shepherd with extra hair attached to it. 
There was nothing scary about this movie at all. It had the same premise of a murder mystery who's the werewolf setup, but the similarities ended there. I actually laughed out loud when the lead character gets dressed up in black leather pants and a leather blazer and grabs his shotgun to go hunt down this werewolf. All while this is happening, you have music like what you would have heard in the Wonder Woman 1970s series playing. It was just an all-around awful horror movie, in my opinion. I almost didn't make it through it, but I was curious to see who the werewolf was, so I stuck it out. I have always loved Howling 5. It used to scare the shit out of me when I was a kid. And I think even as a grown-up, if I was watching it for the first time, it would be a nail-biter. It's a low-budget film that definitely delivers. It makes you use your imagination to scare you, which, as most of you know, is a preference of mine when it comes to scary movies. Rotten Tomatoes didn't actually give this movie a review, which I thought was kind of funny. (laughs) IMDb gave this a 4.4 out of 10. 86% of Google users liked this movie, which makes me happy. I give Howling 5, The Rebirth, a 7 out of 10. It is scary. I love the characters. I love the murder mystery with werewolf setup. This is a good movie that will always have a place in my horror section. Part 2. Paranormal Encounters. I call this story Screams in the Basement. If you have been following my show, you'll know that I had quite a few experiences growing up at our house on Schmidt Road. Well... Here's another one for you. This one was experienced by me, my brother, and my cousin Lindsay. This took place in the basement, which was the coolest place to hang out when we were kids. It was huge and completely open. The staircase was situated in the middle of the room. One of my fondest memories is all the times we would use the basement like a roller rink. We would rollerblade around there for hours with the radio blasting. I'm sure our parents just loved it. (laughs) We never really felt scared in the basement until this particular night. It was almost 9 p.m. Time to pack it in for the night. The three of us met up at the staircase to take off our rollerblades. The radio was still playing in the far corner of the room. My cousin Lindsay was sitting a couple steps up on the staircase, taking off her blades Adam and I were sitting on the basement floor. We all stood up at the same time, and right before we were about to head up the stairs, the lights turned off. The radio turned off. Lindsay screamed. But there was also a second scream. It hurt my ears so bad, my hands came up to cover them. That scream was not the high-pitched scream of a young girl. It sounded like a scream that someone my mother's age would make, and it sounded like the woman was standing directly to the right of me. It lasted for about five seconds, maybe. Then it stopped. The lights came back on. The stereo came back on. We all stared at each other like we had just seen a ghost for a hot second before we bolted up the stairs. I remember reaching the top 
and the light from my parents' room caught the corner of my eye. My mom was in her room folding laundry. She stopped when she heard the scream and was looking over her shoulder at us when we came through the basement door. The scream that she heard was Lindsay's. It didn't sound like anything paranormal to her. She just thought it was us crazy kids fucking around. I remember we actually had to send my mom back down to turn the radio off. We refused to go back down there. The three of us were so shaken up, I don't think my brother or I went down into the basement for a good month after that. Now, I had done a lot of thinking about this experience, trying to explain it away. There was a light switch at the bottom of the staircase. When we were getting ready to head up, I made note of Lindsay's hand against the wall, right near where the switch would have been. It is very possible that she hit the switch by accident or even on purpose to scare us. But that switch doesn't control the radio, and I distinctly remember that shutting off at the same time. The other thing I thought about was that I heard Lindsay scream. There was no question of that. But there's a big difference between the scream of a 10-year-old child and a grown-ass woman. Here's a couple examples. Scream of a child. And scream of a woman. Big difference. And again, that scream hit me right in my right ear so hard while Lindsay was standing in front of me on the stairs. The other factor was our reaction. We were clearly disturbed by what had happened. If it was just Lindsay screaming, we would have figured that out, laughed about it, and moved on with our lives. But this event has stayed with us all these years, and we still talk about it to this day. How can you dismiss something when multiple people encounter the same thing? Or who knows, maybe I have a touch of psychosis and I just hallucinate from time to time. Could be a possibility, I suppose. But for now, I choose to believe that all the things I have experienced have some basis in reality. If you have a paranormal encounter that you'd like to share on my show, email me at horrorsection.steve at outlook.com. I thank you so much for joining me again on this journey through the dark films of our horror history. Only three episodes left for season one. Our next film takes us not too far back in time to 2013. Two young girls in a cabin in the woods have been being watched over by a supernatural entity. They were found and taken in by a loving relative, but they didn't come out of the woods alone. Mama terrified audiences, and I'm looking forward to chit-chatting with you about it. This film is currently available on Apple TV, HBO Max, Hulu, Vudu, YouTube, and Google Play, and of course on Blu-ray and DVD. Check it out before my next episode so I don't spoil it for you. Steve's Horror Section is an independently produced podcast. If you would like to become a supporter of the show, please visit my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash steveshorrorsection. The music and sound effects on my show are provided by epidemicsound.com. See you next time.